You're listening to the Be Healthy Naturally podcast, episode number 56. Hey, we are Dr. Shane and Liz Watt. We are doing this podcast because we are trying to bring knowledge and education to create a new way of thinking about our health. Knowledge is the key to a happy, healthy life, and our goal is to help you live your best life. So join us and let's learn together. Daryl Burchard is passionate about healthy living, healthy eating, and long life learning. Daryl grew up working for the family mineral business in Redmond, Utah, and then earned a Bachelor of Science degree at Southern Utah University, followed by an MBA at Western Governors University. We want to welcome Daryl out to the podcast today. We also want to give a shout out because uh, he is representing Redmond and they're one of our sponsors this year for our conference. So we really appreciate that as well. So is it your family that runs Redmond? You said yeah, you family know, business. First, you know, Liz and Dr. Shane, thanks so much for having me on your program today. Can't wait to talk a little bit more about salt. And yes, yeah, so my family back in the 1950s started the company Redmond. It's not just my family that's involved anymore. We actually sold the business back in the early 2000s. Um, but a lot of us are still involved. We love business. Uh, we love salt. And uh, as crazy as it is, people think salt's a commodity and it's boring. But most of us here are very passionate about salt and uh, just really excited to be on your program today. Yeah, I, I guess I never paid attention to who owned, who, you know, started Redmond. I just know, you just know them as Redmond. I'm not, they're not, a, there's not a name out there. So I didn't know who the name was. So that's well, cool. you know, I will tell you that salts have ha- salt has had its ups and downs. I know that my dad, when I was younger, had a heart attack. And the thing they said was, stay away from salt, stay yeah, away so from salt. Yeah, so they never had any salt in their house. Yeah, we grew up not having any salt. And who knows if that is good or bad or, you know, for... Well, we're going to learn today. It's not yes. good. <laughs> you know, salt's kind of interesting. Back in the 1950s, there was a study. Um, I actually could send you a copy of it. And this study was called Evidence for Relationship Between Sodium Chloride Intake and Human Essential Hypertension. And this one study back in the 1950s changed everybody's thought on salt like they did on fat. You know, people, you know, years ago thought all fat was bad. And the truth is some fat can be bad, but we do need fat for our, for all of our good, healthy functions. And so salt. Right. So that's how everything got started was because of that one study of hypertension, right? Yes, correct. And you know, if you go back since the dawn of time, salt has been one of the most important minerals ever. You know, every civilization started around access to the salt deposits. Every religious text talks about salt. Every... Um, civilization, it was so important that the Roman soldiers were actually paid in salt. And the term, is a man worth his salt, was because if you were paid a salary or sailing paid a wage in salt, and you weren't working hard enough to earn your keep, you weren't worth your salt. And so there's a lot of sayings in our society today that are based on the importance of salt since the dawn of time. So why do you think salt has gotten such a bad rap then? I love that question, because if we went back 100, 200 years ago, all of us would have eaten more salt, because if we ate any meat outside of season, or we had to preserve any vegetables outside of season, we would have preserved them with salt. So before the refrigerator, you and I and everybody else would have eaten more salt because of food preservation. And yet, salt wasn't the problem. Well, if we fast forward, salt has had two major changes. 
The first, if you look in the ocean, the ocean water occurs as a complex chloride. So in the ocean water, it's not pure refined salt. It's sodium chloride, potassium chloride, magnesium chloride, calcium chloride, selenium, zinc, copper, phosphorus, iodine, a whole slew of good minerals and elements in seawater. Yet around the turn of the century, salt companies realized that they could take seawater and they could transfer it through a, through a series of evaporation ponds and slowly eliminate some of those other elements. So they could pull the seawater into a pond, leach off the potassium chloride, move it to the next pond, leach out the magnesium chloride, then the calcium chloride. So through a series of evaporation ponds, they could change the nature of the salt itself. That was the first challenge. The second is salt is hygroscopic. Hygroscopic means sucks moisture out of the air. So if I have a salt crystal like this one and I leave it on my kitchen table in a humid area, it will suck water out of the air. If that's a shaker on my table and it sucks that water out of the air, that salt gets sticky and clumpy. And so which is important because salts, one of salt's main jobs in the body is to help regulate the intercellular and extracellular fluids. It's its job. The, that's what's sodium job potassium is. pump. Exactly. But if we find it, so the scientists said, what chemical could we coat that crystal with to stop its ability to interact with moisture? You know, what could we coat it with? And they came up with a whole list of chemicals, sodium ferrous cyanide, uh, things like sodium silicoaluminate, um, these chemicals that would stop the salt's ability to interact with moisture. Nobody ever said, should we do that? <laughs> and what they found was, is they could take a chemical, they could coat that salt crystal. So when it was really humid outside and it was raining and really humid, the salt would still pour out of the shaker. So that old tagline with the little girl with the cute umbrella and she has a salt shaker and the salt's trickling out of the back. That tagline, when it rains, it pours, was because that was the first time they discovered chemicals that they could coat that salt crystal with to stop its ability to interact with moisture. So they took this chemical that sustained life. It's given as an IV in every hospital in the world. They demineralize it. Then they coat it with a chemical to stop its ability to interact with moisture. And then they use it as a cheap preservative on foods that our ancestors wouldn't even define as food. And then we wonder why salt is the problem, where it's not the salt. And this is this is your generic base run-of-the-mill table salt, right? That's what you're referring Correct. to. Correct. The stuff that you – like if you went to any restaurant, there's salt on the table. That's what it is. If you Most salt that you get in the grocery store, that's what it is. This is the demineralized salt with a, with a chemical coating, and that's why it works the way it works. And that's probably why we're – Salt has also got a bad name in a lot of instances because it's that stuff isn't good. For and you. it's the salt that's used not only on the table because most people actually get more salt from their processed foods than they're adding themselves on the table. And so not only is right. the table salt that people are applying, you know, this deprocessed and chemical version of salt that has a whole ingredient list, but a lot of the processed foods out of cans and boxes are also using this cheap processed salt as a preservative to make the food last longer than it should. So it's really this this perfect trifecta of poor health decisions when we're using a, a product that's highly processed, been demineralized, we're adding it to foods that we probably shouldn't eat anyway, and then we wonder why we're, you know, we feel crappy and, and we have high blood pressure. But it's not the, the mm -hmm. natural salt, it's 
a series of unfortunate events that happen to the food before we actually sit down to eat. And that's what we see when we see like the sodium content, right? Correct. When it says sodium. So I have a question, and I don't know if you can answer this because I just thought of this, but what is the difference between a salt, con- like like a generalized salt, you know, that's a good product, I'm not using the table salt, and when they refer to sodium, what is the, what is the definition behind sodium? Great question. That's actually one that I don't get asked a lot. So salt in chemistry is when you have an acid and a base that are bound together in an ionic bond. So it can be a lot of different things. So magnesium and sulfur will bind to magnesium sulfate. That is a type of salt. Um, you might have calcium chloride. Calcium chloride, they bind together an ionic bond. It creates a salt. When we talk about food, we're talking about sodium and chloride that bind together. Now, chloride is kind of this forgotten nutrient. Sodium, we know, as you pointed out, is essential for the sodium-potassium pump. Helps regulate the, the cellular fluid, cleans the cells. And chloride is this forgotten nutrient. You know, you think about digestion. But when somebody hears that salt's bad, a logical step might be to go to a low-salt diet. When you when you go to a low-salt diet, one of the first things that happens is digestion drops because our bodies need hydrochloric acid to digest our food. We don't drink hydrochloric acid. Our bodies create that using the hydrogen from the water, the chloride from salts, and the body creates HCl or hydrochloric acid that we digest our food with. And so sodium is part of the sodium chloride molecule that bind together when you have one sodium which is very basic it's alkaline one chloride or chlorine which is a deadly gas if it's in its purified form but yet you take this reactive base which is sodium this very caustic acid which is chloride or chlorine but yet they bind together and it's essential for life it's a sodium chloride that's very different from pure sodium or from pure you know chlorine um, also with salt, they have like, can you just kind of tell us there's a lot of different varieties of salt and there's like the iodine pink salt, the and got really popular a few years ago. And then there's ago. I, you know, with iodine and, you know, like what are the different types of salt? Great, great question. So in salt, if we were to go back a thousand years and we were to look at how our ancestors would have gotten salt, they would have got it in one of two ways. The first way, they would have watched the animals, and the animals might go and they start eating the soil or digging in an area, and they would find a salt deposit that was buried beneath the earth. And so eons ago, during the Jurassic era, there was a big inland sea that covered most of Utah, Colorado, Wyoming, Montana, this massive inland sea. It was called the Sundance Sea, like the Sundance Ski Resort that you find here in Utah. This ancient inland sea I thought it was, was Lake Bonneville. Is that different then? Lake that's actually different. different. Yeah, so Lake Bonneville was much later in geologic time frame. So the Great Salt Lake is remnants of Lake Bonneville. The real salt deposit, this crystalline deposit, is remnants of the Sundance Sea, which was eons earlier. But our ancestors um, would have found access to these salt deposits. There's some of this... These ancient seabeds that are found in Bolivia, there's some in Pakistan that the Himalayan deposit comes from. There's some here in Utah, which is the real salt. So our early ancestors would have watched the animals and they would have found these these ancient salt deposits. So that's one way. The other way is our ancestors would have gone out to the ocean. The ocean water occurs at about 3% salt. 
And so they could have taken this ocean water and brought it into one pond, let the water evaporate, and then they would have been left with eventually salt crystals because they would have evaporated that off. Now, if you go to if you go to France, if you bring the ocean water into sand, the ocean water just seeps back into the sand. So you lined that pond with gray clay. And that clay will keep the water from the seawater from settling off into the back into the sand. So when you rake up those salt crystals, you get a gray salt crystal because of that gray clay that the salt is settling off in. If you go to Hawaii, they do that same process today, but they use a red clay. So the Hawaiian red salt comes because they're using a red clay pond and they're bringing off the ocean water from Hawaii and letting it settle off in one in one complete set. And so that's where the different salts come today. Your primary, your primary salt comes from either a current ocean, like the Gulf of Mexico, the Sea of Japan, San Francisco Bay. It might come from a dead sea, like the It really dead comes sea. from San Francisco Bay, because that is a toxic environment. Oh my gosh. Okay. <laughs> so we'll talk a little bit that, about that in a second. I think there's three really good questions you should ask yourself when you're looking to buy a good clean salt. And you might end up with uh, Redmond Real Salt. You might end up with a, a number of great salts from around the world. But I think there's three questions that'll, that'll help you zero in and, and find the perfect salt for you. And so, yeah, so it could come from a current ocean, like the San Francisco Bay, Gulf of Mexico Sea, Japan, Mediterranean. It might come from a dead sea, like the Dead Sea in Israel, the Great Salt Lake here in Utah. It's a dead sea. It's part of Lake Bonneville. And then you also have these ancient seabeds. And so years ago, like back in the 70s or even before, if you bought sea salt from their grocery store, it might have actually been better than a table salt. Today, when you walk into the store, because salt is all from the sea at some point, it doesn't, the term sea salt's been destroyed. And so I tell health myth. Yeah. conscious people today, don't look for sea salt. Whatever salt you buy, look at the label and you'll be able to see if it has a series of ingredients or what processing has been done to it, which is way more important than a manufactured, you know, marketing term like sea salt or something similar. So what is Himalayan? Because that's a, that was a popular one. Is that where is that processed at? So the Himalayan deposit comes largely from Pakistan. There's also parts in Nepal. Um, there's this big sea, ancient seabed that has been pushed up in that Pakistan region. Um, there's a very similar deposit in Bolivia. So if you go down to Bolivia, there's a, a beautiful rose pink salt in Bolivia. Um, and so these three questions that I think are really important to ask, they're really simple. And I think these three questions, whether you're buying kale chips, whether you're buying eggs or you're buying salt or maybe even a mountain bike, I think these are three really good questions to ask. So the first one is who is producing it? As you know, today our food supply, it's getting harder and harder to really know where your food's coming from. You know, one of the beautiful parts about going to a farmer's market, assuming they're actually farmers at the market, is you can look at the guy or the gal that's raising whatever it is you're eating it and know actually who it is that's producing the product. You know, today you walk into a big box store, especially with salt, you buy a shaker of salt and knowing exactly 
what region, what sea did that come from? Did it come from the Gulf of Mexico or the, the San Francisco Bay, which isn't an ideal body of saltwater? Um, you know, we humans have not been the best stewards of this planet that we live on. And water being the universal solvent, it doesn't take a whole long time from Exxon Valdez spill up in Alaska to make its way all the way down the coast. And so I think some of these questions of, of who is producing it is important because then we can ask the second question, which is what is the source? You know, if you're if you're going and you're buying some grass fed meat, where is it coming from? You know, what where is the what is the source of this of this food item that I'm consuming? Because if you know who's producing it and where it's coming from, then you can ask the third question, which is what are they doing to it? Are they putting anything in or are they taking anything out? And I think whether you're buying steak, eggs, apples, salt, anything really if you can know who's producing it know where it's coming from and what they're doing to it i think you're going to make a lot better informed decision than shopping for a brand or you know shopping because of an influencer i think those are just three really solid questions that'll that'll help you be healthy naturally like your podcast suggests can you tell us a little bit about i've heard just from i would say like the food storage and stuff like that there's a lot of talk about with the iodine that's in the salt. And some people say, well, with like food storage and stuff, you kind of need to have some of it that has the iodine in it. Um, can you tell us like the, the good stuff, the positive stuff, the negative stuff when it comes to iodine and salts? No discussion on salt would be complete without a discussion on iodine. What's interesting that most people don't know is the reason that we associate iodine with salt is because of World War I. And if we go back to World War I, when they instituted the draft, a lot of men, particularly out of the Midwest, had a big goiter problem where the thyroid would swell and they would get this big goiter problem because of the lack of iodine. Now, a big group of scientists and government officials got together and said, we cannot continue the draft if we don't solve this goiter problem. And we know that's a result of iodine deficiency because it's happening in the Midwest. But you think about World War One, early eight, or 1900s, people are eating a lot out of white sugar, white flour, canned foods, and they're not eating a lot of seafood, no dulse, no seaweed, no kelp, and very little seafood because they're kind of landlocked. And so the scientists got together and said, how can we get people to eat more iodine? I would have hoped that somebody suggested they have a campaign on eat more foods rich in iodine. I don't know that that never happened, but they looked at food items they could add iodine to to force iodine consumption. They looked at adding it to bread, like they do bromide as an as a enhancer. They looked at adding it to water, like they do fluoride in some cities. Um, and what they found was the only thing they could come up with that the iodine would be in a somewhat stable form that people had to eat to live was salt. So they created a law that said, if you're a salt manufacturer, you must add iodine to your salt at this certain level. And if you don't add processed iodine to your salt, you must put a statement on the front. They dictated the font that says this salt does not supply iodide, a necessary nutrient. Now, what's interesting is the salt that the, the iodine that's added to salt now has been determined to be less than 10% bioavailable. So yes, adding iodine to salt did actually help. 
because people were getting so little iodine, even though they were getting less than 10% of the iodine added, it was enough to make a difference. And so, yes, all of us should probably be seeking out foods that are rich in iodine. And for many, they probably ought to be even considering a supplement that has iodine in it. But salt itself is a very poor source of iodine. And natural salt does have natural iodine in it. Um, this a, a serving of, of real salt has about 10% of your recommended daily allowance of iodine. It's not a source of iodine. Salt was never meant to be a source of iodine. There's a little bit there, but that's why iodine and salt have become associated today. And and I'm sure, Dr. Shane, you see probably patients all the time that probably are low in iodine, but iodized salt is a, is a very poor way to do that. You can do that much better through you know seaweed, kelp, dulse, uh, fresh fish, uh, mozzarella cheese. There's some um, plants that have higher levels of iodine. But, but that's really a better source of iodine than iodized salt. So we don't normally go into people's business aspects when we're talking on this because we want it to be educational. But I think Redmond's a big enough name in Utah. Where do you, do you guys get your salt? Because uh, I think you guys have a, it's Redmond, there's a place called Redmond, Utah, right? And that's where, is that, is that one of these places like you were talking about where there's a place like in Bolivia, Himalayas? Or do you guys get it out of the Great Salt Lake or both? Great question. So all of the salt um, that comes from Redmond is from an ancient seabed underneath the city of Redmond. There's three red mounds that are at the town of Redmond, which is where the town got its name. It's near the town Salina, which is Salina or Spanish for salt. And so when the early settlers came through Utah and they settled this area, they noticed that the animals were eating the soil right there at the surface and they moved the soil out of the way and they found this, this salt deposit that had been pushed up underneath the farms right there in Salina or in Redmond. Now, what's kind of fun is when the settlers came in, the Native Americans were long gone from this piece of property. But when they were doing the excavation down at Mesa Verde, the big uh, National Indian State Park, they actually found salt from Redmond that they had actually, the, the early inhabitants of, of this valley had taken this salt and traded it all the way down to Mesa Verde. And so this salt was known, you know, long before the, the early settlers came into the valley. And my grandfather and his brother had a farm right here that happened to be right on top of this salt deposit. And so in the 1950s, my grandfather and his brother were farming this piece of property. In World War II, my grandfather was a riveter and a business manager at McDonnell Douglas in California. And his brother was a miner at Kennecott, the big copper mine here in Utah. So the two brothers after the war, they wanted to raise their families together. And so they came back and were farming on this piece of property that was their grandfather's and, and their great-grandfather's property. And when the farm wasn't doing that well because of the drought, they thought they've got to do something to feed the kids and, and give the boys work. And so well, with the business experience from my grandfather and the mining experience from his brother, they bought a bulldozer and plowed the corn and the alfalfa out of the way and started selling salt to the local farmers. And then they ate it themselves because it was cheaper than buying it. But at the time, again, in the 1950s, we as, as a society kind of thought white flour was better, right? White flour is better. White sugar is better. It's been refined. They've, got... they've taken everything out of it. <laughs> they didn't realize, <laughs> yeah, that was the problem. <laughs> and so we had this salt 
that we as a family ate because it was cheaper than buying it because it was there with the salt. But we sold the salt mostly to farmers and to the state of Utah to, to keep the salt off the road or the ice off the roads. In the 1970s, when the health food movement started to really get some legs, a nutritionist from California came to Utah, and he wrote an article about how the this unique salt from Utah was the healthiest and tastiest salt he had ever tried. And so we started getting phone calls of stores wanting to sell it. And we said, well, we don't really sell it. When we eat it ourselves, we don't sell it that way. So you had to figure out how to process, or not process it, but how to package it and everything else. Yeah, so... So the, the family got together and said, we got to come up with a name. You know, Redmond sounds boring, even though that's the name of the company. Um, and it's not processed salt. It's not fake salt. It's not it's it's just real salt. And that's how real salt was born. Um, and that's kind of how the company got started and started with two two brothers in a small town in, in rural Utah. That's where the salt still comes from. Geologists tell us it's a hundred and fifty million year old seabed. Of course, I wasn't alive back then to confirm or deny any of the time frame, but it was long before Lake Bonneville, and Utah was 50 miles wider apart. If you look at a topographical map, all of the mountains in Utah run north and south. You have the Ochres, the Wasatch, the Henrys, and underground, this salt deposit would have been laid you know, layer by layer as the salt settled off, and then it was compressed and pushed up so just like the mountain ranges in utah all run north and south this salt deposit that's been pushed up is about a quarter mile wide three miles long and about five thousand feet deep because this seabed initially was at sea level which was five thousand feet down before the great basin was all pushed up and the wasatch fault was pushed up and buckled and that same buckling and compressing happened with this seabed so they're mining salt, and they're literally they have mines in the underneath the ground, right? And when they're like they take a shovel and dig it out, that that shovel is completely full of salt. Completely full of salt from an ancient seabed. So if you come onto our website sometime, we've got some videos, and you can go underground, and the strata. All I runs, know they do tours and stuff too, right? Yeah, only we we can't do open public tours. We can for you know key accounts like you like yourself, um, but because of some mining regulations, we just don't do we don't do open tours. But the the strata all runs vertical, which is unique to a deposit because a sedimentary deposit like the coal deposits here in Utah are all laid horizontally, but under heat and pressure, that strata has been pushed vertical which makes it a very safe and structured deposit. But as you come underground, the wall, the ceiling, the floor, everything is just salt. So when are you going to run out of the salt then? <laughs> that's a, a great question. Um, you know, fortunately... They said it's five miles deep or something like that, Yeah, right? so it's about three miles long, about a quarter mile wide and 5,000 feet deep. And in the last 40 years, you know, we've gone down about 600 feet in the deposit. And we've only been taking about 30 to 40 percent of the material. So um, our estimates are about 900 more years left of salt. It's long enough away that you don't have to worry about it. Yeah, we've got a few generations that'll be okay. Can we talk a little bit about the minerals and stuff and how it affects your body if you are mineral deficient in some of these 
minerals that salt helps. Yeah, so our outside of a spiritual discussion, the only difference in the three of us visiting one minute and then being dead on the floor the next minute is the absence of an electric current. So in order of importance, we have oxygen. We know that if oxygen was sucked out of this room, we would be in a world of hurt really quick. And then the next thing is water, because, you know, you can live quite a long time without food. You know, many of us pack a lot of extra food with us, um, but we can't live a long time without water. And then the next thing in order of importance is salt and these minerals, because outside of that spiritual discussion, we're really just water and minerals. You know, we remember in grade school that we learned that our bodies are, what, 71, 72, 73, somewhere in that percent water, which means if I'm 150 pounds, I'm about 42 pounds of water or about 42 pounds of mineral and about 108 pounds of water. And outside of a spiritual discussion, the only difference in me living and dead is this absence of an electric current. And salt is what keeps that electric, keeps us conductive. And so if, if we were to start drinking as much distilled water as we could, eventually we're going to probably die from hyponatremia because we're going to flush all of the salts out of our body. Our tears are salty. Our sweat is salty. Our urine is salty. No matter what we drink, we are losing salts and minerals all of the time. And so that's why salt has always been such a key part of every civilization is because outside of, of, of oxygen and then water, salts are the next most important thing. And we can get some salts through our diet. You know, if we're eating a lot of uh, raw and rare meats, they're high in blood and blood from animals has a high sodium content. There are some vegetables like celery that has higher levels of sodium. But generally speaking, animals and humans need to find ways to supplement sodium if they're eating clean processed foods. Now, if, if you're eating out of boxes and cans, you're probably getting a lot of processed sodium already. But if you start to try to eat more intentionally, and start eat more you know raw foods and prepare your own foods adding salt to your diet becomes quite important so they talk about you know well first of all we have a son that's a wrestler and he's very much into health and one thing he always takes with him is his minerals and he we i actually make my own mineral salt where i get salt you know, real salt, the Himalayan salt, all that stuff. I do a variety of salts. And then I fill it full of water and let it sit for 24 hours. And then it comes with, you have this mineralized water. And then we take like a teaspoon of that and add it to, you know, 32 ounces of water or whatever. But he swears by if he doesn't have his minerals. He did right before each match. Like, you know, it's because if you go to a wrestling tournament, they take forever. You never know when you're going to wrestle. But when he, it's on his, within about 30 minutes before his docket time to wrestle, he takes this mineral that he's put together. And yeah, he swear. But this is a kid that hasn't had sugar in six years as a 17 year old. So he's, it's pretty impressive, actually. So I was a wrestler myself. I wrestled all through high school. I was given a scholarship to wrestle in college. I didn't Which go is very that hard. Route, but, yeah, that's hard. But, but in wrestling particularly, you're sweating hard. You're probably trying to manage your water weight before check-in, which becomes you know problematic as well. And so for years, I, I love your formula, Liz. That's a perfect formula. For years, I've told people, rather than buying the hot pink, the purple, the blue, the food coloring uh, sports drinks, make your own for pennies. Yes. 
a, a quart. And those other good, ones are crap. Let's be honest. They are, and and they're expensive. You can take a quart of good clean water, add a quarter teaspoon of of your natural salts, a squeeze of lemon, a little bit of honey if you want a little energy boost, and you have made the world's best sports drink for for pennies on the dollar. Because again, especially when you're you know if you're a, if you're a firefighter, a roofer, a wrestler, a hot yoga. Um, you are sweating, and every time you sweat or cry or urinate, you're just flushing salts. So unless you're replacing those, especially if you're eating clean like your son does, you're going to start having leg cramps, muscle cramps, nauseas, headaches. You know, most people are way too dehydrated as it is. And yet if you start drinking lots of water without replacing those salts, now you're just you know, causing more problems. And so Liz, I love your sports drink. Um, and I think everybody should make that for their kids or for themselves as they're exercising. I was going to make a comment to you. And kind of an interesting story. You talked about pe- people drinking distilled water and how all of a sudden they don't get the, the, the minerals, right? So one of my patients, he works at Shasta and they also do LaCroix. A lot of people don't realize that they are the company that does the LaCroix. And what happened was all the, all the workers started just drinking the LaCroix because they get drink for free right so they went from one garbage stuff to something that they thought was better but they don't they weren't getting their minerals they started having issues with all their employees because they were drinking all the LaCroix but they but they use a distilled water and so there were some issues that started happening they started they realized that luckily and said hey you guys gotta drink regular water too you can't just drink the LaCroix as your as your as your water intake you know animals are so smart you know if, if you watch a horse Right. Horses instinctively know when to drink and when to eat. And if they're low on minerals, they'll go. They might eat, you know, a fence post or they might eat some dirt or they might because they're so smart. You know, we humans over time, because of ease or whatever, we've often lost our ability to really follow cravings. You know, we might think we're craving a big you know, something big and fat. usually it's usually it's sugary. All the cravings go back to sugar or right? salt. They, <laughs> They do. Oftentimes, though, if you think you're having a sugar craving, if you take a a clean piece of natural salt and you suck on it, it'll actually not only curb the sugar craving, um, but it actually tastes very sweet because our bodies oftentimes are not only have too little water, but too little good, clean salt as well. And so I think as people start listening to their bodies and they think they're having a sugar craving or they think they might be craving a, a big bowl of French fries, you know, if they stop and, and go back to just, just a little bit of clean salt or maybe an avocado or something that's rich in a good clean fats or, you know, adding some olive oil or some other good clean fats, you know, it's, it's a lot healthier approach when we start thinking about the cravings that we're having, because I think sometimes we think we're craving sugar or we think we're just craving something, but it's oftentimes minerals and good clean fat that our bodies are, are really needing because we've heard fat's bad for us or we've heard salt's bad for us. And so what are we left with? You know, sugar. <laughs> right. Yeah. And that's and that's what really ruined the food, right? When they took out the cholesterols, they took out the fats, they took out the sugars. I mean, not the sugars, but they took out basically everything. And the only thing that was left to make it taste good was sugars. And that's one of the real reasons why our diet has gone to pot so bad and everything. But, Something interesting with sugar, too, is sugar is a preservative. And so when people hear salt's bad in manufacturers, manufacturers will start pulling salt out. But to still make the food last longer than it should, they'll add additional sugar to help add as a preservative because they're taking the salt, this processed salt out. So mm-hmm. you're trading one you know, processed 
refined salt, which is bad, for another processed refined white substance, which is probably worse. Who knew that a discussion on salt would be so interesting? <laughs> so, and you know, so just a little bit of a pub, you know. Yeah, um, come to the conference. Come to the conference. Because He's going to be speaking again. Um, show on, up with your water with yeah. a little bit of minerals in it, right? <laughs> or else get them as you stop off at their booth. I'm sure they'll have something <laughs> to, to give you a little bit of mineral boost right there. Well, and like I said, you know, I really appreciate you having me on the program today. I love talking about salt. There's just so much more we could talk about. And obviously, I'm a little biased, but there's a lot of great salts from around the world. So if you come to the presentation at the conference, I cover about eight different salts that I think are great quality salts from around the world. Oh, nice. From Bolivia to Pakistan to Australia to Bali. There is some amazing salts from around the world. We're just one of those. And I appreciate you helping tell the story that that salt is not bad, um, as we may have thought it was when you you know, grew up in your home when yep. you thought all salt was bad. Right. Mm-hmm. Well, true. thanks again. Thanks so much. We appreciate um, all that your company has not only done in the salt world, but in, in, in the natural world throughout Utah. So the, that's a great company. We appreciate it very much. So thanks, thanks again for being on, on our podcast, and we'll see you soon. Thanks for listening to the podcast today. The more knowledge you have, the more you will be empowered to make the changes in your life. And because of this, your life will be elevated. Your health journey is between you and your doctor. This podcast is not meant to diagnose or treat any conditions. However, if your current health care provider is not meeting your health care goals, it is time to take control of your health. If you know anyone who can benefit from our podcast, please like, leave a review, and don't forget to share it with your family and friends. Together, let's take back our health.